Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My name is Andrew Riley. I'm the college pastor here at the chapel. And uh, man, just want to continue the celebration with you guys. This past Sunday night, we got to celebrate 13 students share their testimonies and then be baptized that night, which is just incredible. And uh, man, God continues to do incredible things. And just, man, this, this whole week of celebration and today of celebration, um, it's kind of interesting because we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And uh, today it's going to be, man, a much heavier topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of pain and suffering here today, this morning. Um, and so I kind of want to start off uh, going and actually doing what Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 25 says to do. And we're going to go through a little exercise in just a moment. But what I want to do is I kind of want to show what our future, for those of us that are in Christ, that are children of God, what that looks like. You see, leading up to this point in Romans chapter 8, it talks about what it looks like to be led and filled with the Spirit, what it means to be a child of God. And then this really weird thing happens where he starts to talk about suffering. And what he's trying to do is give us a proper understanding of what suffering actually is. Is So we can have a good biblical understanding because let's be honest, in America, there is no place in our minds for pain and suffering. It's just not. We don't understand pain and suffering like the rest of the world understands pain and suffering. We see it differently. We th always try to avoid it. We always try to ignore it. We try to get rid of it. We think that if we are going through something hard, some type of hardship, we either think that God doesn't love us or he's not powerful enough to do something about it. And so then we think that he's mad at us, and then we get mad at him, and it's this perpetual cycle because we just don't have a proper understanding of what it is. And what I believe in Romans 8, what Paul is trying to get across here is how to think about pain and suffering here on this earth, and it's different than what we think it is. And so what I want to do is I want to start with what he says to do in verse 18. And so I'm going to ask you guys in just a second to close your eyes, and I want to walk through a few things of what the future glory, as he says, heaven or our inheritance as children of God, what it's going to look like. And so I'm going to walk through a few things that are going to be absent, and then I'm going to end with the most beautiful thing that's there, which is God. And the reason we look forward to heaven, there's a lot of th reasons we look forward to heaven, but the most important thing is that is where we have an unfiltered presence of God. And so would you close your eyes just for a second? You're not allowed to fall asleep. If they start snoring, please hit them. But let's imagine what heaven's going to look like. Let's look at what the new heaven, the new earth is going to be like. I want you to imagine what the city will look like. Golden streets, precious jewels, beautiful colors. There are no dark street corners or bad parts of the city riddled with crime that you have to avoid. No more pepper spray on your keychain. No reason to conceal carry. No crooked politicians or political divide. No cops waiting around the corner to catch you speeding. No active shooter drills in schools. No more Amber Alerts. No more home security systems. Now I want you to imagine what a suffering-free life will look like. No reason to cry anymore. No reason to mourn or lament. No more achy joints, back pain, arthritis, or stubbed toes. No pain that wakes you up in the middle of the night. No more sickness like cancer that ravages a body. No more anxiety or depression that keeps you up at night 
and then keeps you laying in your bed the next morning. No more suicidal thoughts and joyless days. I want you to imagine a worry-free life. Not having to worry about your kids looking both ways across the street or how or whether or not they're going to make the right decision in life. Not having to worry about finances, the next raise or the next promotion. Not having to worry about providing for your family, retirement or the stock market. Not having to worry about war or political unrest, both here or abroad. Not having to worry about the next worldwide pandemic. Not having to worry about keeping up with social media. Not worrying about if anyone actually cares for you or loves you. Not worrying about being left out by others. I want you to imagine a life in which there is no death that precedes it. No suicide, no abortion, no death penalty, no mass shootings, no senseless acts of violence, no genocide. I want you to imagine a life with no sin and temptation, no reason to lie, no reason to cheat, no reason to steal, no envy or jealousy of a neighbor or a friend, no slander or gossip about you or something that comes out of you, no pornography or lust, no hatred, no angry bursts at your children, no laziness or procrastination of your responsibilities, no greed or love of money. Now, most importantly, I want you to imagine being in the unfiltered presence of God. His, maj his majesty unhindered, his holiness on full display, his character is the measuring stick of everything that is considered good. His character is, by definition, love. His character is the fulfillment of peace. He is the greatest possible thing or being that could ever exist. He is the one who created music, dancing, food, sex, sports, art, nature, and entertainment. And he is far greater than any of his creations. You can open your eyes. How awesome will that be? How sweet does that place sound? That sounds incredible. And for many of you, what you're feeling right now is what God wants you to experience. He wants you to find hope in that day coming. He wants you to have a clear perspective of what this life is and what the next life is. And then he tells us how to do that in Romans chapter 8. So we're going to start in verse 18. And this is what he says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is called the future glory that God has for us as his children. The future glory. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Focusing and knowing our future glory gives hope in a few categories that we're going to talk about today. The first one is this from these verses. Our future glory brings hope in our present suffering. Our future glory, what God has for us in the future, new heaven, new earth, as his children in his presence, gives us hope in our present suffering. Now, I need to go ahead and say what he's not saying here. This is just as important, right? Because I think in the church, when we hear about hope, when we hear about joy, when we hear about, think of heaven, we think that we're not allowed to experience any other emotion besides joy. And to show any other emotion as a Christian would be wrong. And that's incorrect. Here's what it's saying. 
uh, not saying, sorry, it's not saying to pretend like your hardships don't exist and put on a happy face. It's not saying sweep your pain under the rug and just grit it out. It's not saying that um, it's a sin if your hope for the future doesn't free you from all your suffering on this planet. It's not saying that meditating on heaven is a magic pill that fixes all your problems. The purpose of this passage to show you that the glory that's going to be revealed in us when our future hope in heaven with God is going to be so magnificent that trying to compare it to something else will be futile. It will be pointless. Looking back on this life of pain and suffering will be so minuscule that it is not worth comparing. There's a few other random things I thought of, man, not worth comparing. The 2019 LSU football team and the 1992 LSU football team. If you know, you know. Not worth it. Nobody's doing that. If you look at my driving versus Jeff Gordon's driving, nobody's doing that. I am not worthy. No one's analyzing my turning radius and my speed and my handling compared to Jeff Gordon's. I am unworthy of being compared to that. It's like going to your front yard and your little rock garden that you have, if you have one, taking a pebble and saying, man, I'm going to compare this to this mountain that's in Colorado. Completely unnecessary. It's like taking the cup of coffee many of you have and saying, let me compare this to the Pacific Ocean. It's not worthy to be compared of something that is so magnificent. You don't want to look at your bank account and analyze it uh, and put it next to Elon Musk's. No one's doing that. Could you do it? You sure could. But it's not worthy of it. And it pales in comparison. And so what this passage is doing is not saying, hey, look, if you think about heaven, it fixes your problems. It's saying there is hope that there will be a day in which everything is so wonderful and beautiful and incredible in the presence of God and in heaven that you're going to look back on this moment and realize it is not even worth comparing to. It is giving you hope for the future. And when the Bible says hope, I try to say this every time I talk about the word hope, it is not, man, there's a chance this is going to happen. When the Bible says hope, it means look forward expectantly to the day when that's going to happen. My hope the thing that continues to pull me and drive me forward is knowing that there will be a day in which I look back on this life and is nothing but a blip on a radar. That is the hope that God is trying to give you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, that you get to look back one day and it won't even compare. It won't even be worthy what you're experiencing now to the glory that God has for you in his presence in heaven in the future. And I hope that you can find that hope here today. And before some of you, you might ask the question, who are you, pastor, to tell me about pain and suffering? You don't know what I'm going through. What have you experienced? I'm not going to lie. I've, man, God has freed me from a lot of pain and suffering in my life. I've had a fairly easy life. I'm not going to lie. But when I look at Paul, I am nobody to talk to you about this. But when I look at the person that God prepared to tell everyone about this, I want to go ahead and read a passage of scripture about Paul and his life. He is someone who has experienced more pain and suffering than many of you ever even think you could possibly experience. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 28. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, because they said if you received 40, you would die. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
and I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This is a man who was familiar with pain and suffering in a way that many of us never will be. Not to say you're not experiencing pain and suffering. But if a man who's gone through all of that and then literally died for his faith and was put to death, and he is telling us to have a hope for the future, that gives way more credibility to it then if I say it, if another pastor up here says it, God prepared this man with a life of pain and suffering so that he could have hope that he expressed to us of what God has for us in the future. And you can have that hope as well in your present suffering. Once again, not so that your pain and suffering disappear, but having a hope that one day in the presence of God, in our future glory, what we're experiencing right now will be nothing in our minds. It will be swallowed up by God's presence. And you can find hope in that. So the first thing our future glory brings is hope in our present suffering. The next one, verse 20, says this, for the creation, not just humans, but creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, all of it, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We see that our future glory brings hope for a liberated creation. Our future glory brings hope for a liberated creation creation. What does that mean? In other words, it's not just our bodies that are broken. It is everything. It's the ecosystem. It's the world. It's the planet. It's governmental systems, economic systems, natural systems. All of these things have been corrupted by sin. There is no evolving out of it. The earth doesn't just naturally going to evolve past the groaning and the effects of sin on this planet. There's not hope to just be like the earth will figure it out. We need a different hope. And so we see that our future glory brings hope for a liberated creation. And so here's the deal. I want to go over verse 20 because this will mess with their theology. I don't know if you've been in church for a long time. I don't know what you've heard. I don't know who you think God is. But this verse should challenge you in a way that not many other verses do. But verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Do you hear that? Not by its own choice. In other words, the earth didn't just evolve from a mindless universe to get to the point where, where it is now. The way the earth is right now, the way all creation is right now is on purpose. Pain and suffering and all. Why? By, but by the will of the one who subjected it. This will challenge your theology. This will challenge your understanding of God. In other words, it was God's will that the earth be subjected 
to the place it is now, to frustration, to decay. That's going to challenge your theology. I don't know who you think God is, but when you hear that it was God's will to subject planet Earth to the conditions of pain and suffering, many of you are going to reject that thought. This actually brings up a big problem in our church today. And it's a problem which people don't understand the bigger picture, the bigger scope of God's character and what he's trying to do on planet Earth and why it is the way it is. It has a name. It's called the logical problem of evil, the logical problem of pain and suffering. In other words, many of you were raised with the same concept of God, right? Here's the concept of God. God is all loving and he's all powerful. Wait, wait, wait. But pain and suffering exists. And so if, if God is supposed to be all loving and all powerful and pain and suffering exists, that either means that he's not all loving or he's not all powerful to change it. Which one is it? This is called the logical problem of pain and suffering. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people leaving the church because they can't reconcile this idea that there's a loving, good, powerful God, and yet there is still this pain and suffering that we go through that many of you are going through right now in your life. And because they don't know how to reconcile it, they leave the church. God can't exist, or he's not good enough to follow, or he's not strong enough to fix my problems anyway. Why would I trust in him? And I just want to go ahead and say, if that was the God you were raised with, you are missing a huge aspect of what's happening here on this planet, a huge aspect of God's character. And so what I want to do is I just want to give four points that help you understand how can there be an all-loving, all-powerful God, and yet there still be a universe and a planet filled with pain and suffering. Because without understanding that concept, whenever you do experience pain and suffering, your faith is going to be way more shaken than it ever needs to. And doubt will creep in faster than it ever needs to. And so I just want to go over four. There's a whole lot more than four reasons on why it's not a contradiction. But I just want to go over four of them here today. The first one is you're missing a very large aspect of God's character if you think those things are contradictory. God is not just a loving God. And he's not just an all-powerful God. He is a just God. He is a righteous judge. If God is the standard of all perfection... He cannot let sin go unpunished. He, he can't. He would stop being perfect at that point in time. And we see from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 that it was God's will to subject the ground to frustration. It was his will. He created more pain in that instance. God was the one that chose it in Genesis chapter 3. He's the one that put it there. It was a punishment for people. And to say that God... And to neglect the fact that God is a righteous judge, I get if, if you don't see him that way, then yes, then pain and suffering would be a contradiction and God would not be worth following. But if he is a righteous judge and we turned our back on God, then he has the right to introduce discipline that causes hardship. He has the right to do that. And it doesn't mean he doesn't love us, which we're going to see later. But the first one we see is that for punishment's sake, and here's the crazy thing. If humanity is in a place right now in rebellion against God, why would we ever expect to see a universe free of pain and suffering? We shouldn't expect to see a universe free from pain and suffering if we have been rebellious towards, towards God. In fact, we should expect to see a broken world. We should expect to see pain. We should expect to see hardship as we are in a state of rebellion against God. 
In America, though, we don't have that perspective. The next one is this. God has chosen to give us the freedom to choose to do bad things. He didn't create it as robots, right? We have the choice to do bad things and hurt other people, don't we? And a lot of times people hurt us and then we blame God. Or people miss something or they hurt somebody and then we blame God. No, God gave human beings the freedom to choose evil. And all of us have chosen evil. All of us have hurt another person. We don't need to blame God for that. We need to look at ourselves when that happens, not God. The next one in this is this. In Christianity, the ultimate goal for humans is not happiness. Many of you were raised thinking that God's chief goal was to treat you as his pet and to make you as comfortable as possible to where there's no pain, no hardship, no difficulty, no discomfort of any kind. But the Bible doesn't say God's chief goal in our lives is to make us happy. It says that God's chief goal for us is to know him, to enjoy him forever, and to worship him in perfect union for the rest of eternity. And if the chief purpose of our lives is not just to be happy, but to know God, to experience God, and to worship him forever, then that means it's not a contradiction when we're not happy. But if you've been raised to think that it is God's job to just make your life as pain-free or as happy as possible, you are going to have a really difficult time for the rest of your life because you will never experience that. The knowledge and the union and fellowship with God is an incomparable good with any other good you could ever experience. And we need to start seeing life that way because that's what heaven's going to be like. You ever been asked the question, what's heaven going to be like to your kids? Roller coasters, ice cream, right? All the good stuff. And the older you get, the more you realize, no, it is God. It is enjoying God, the one that created ice cream and roller coasters. <laughs> he is greater than anything he's created or given us the capacity to create on this planet. But our chief goal is not to be happy. It is to know that person the God of the universe. And the last one is this, why it's not a contradiction for there to be a loving, powerful God who not only permits pain and suffering, but wills it. Often the countries with the worst suffering have the highest growth rates for Christianity. Why is that? The reason for this is because pain and suffering causes us to cry out to something bigger than us that can actually do something about our situation. Pain and suffering is what God uses to draw us back to him. Humanity has turned its back on God, and God, yes, uses pain and suffering for punishment and discipline, of course, but he also uses it and knows that it's something that causes people to reach back out to him. Every single baptism service we have had, somebody has put in their testimony, man, over COVID, I was faced to have to think about death and destruction and I started thinking about it, so I Googled God. The Google searches for God went crazy over COVID. And then they say, man, I started to look it up on YouTube and TikTok, and I found Christian content, and I heard the gospel, and then I believed the gospel, and then I tried to baptize myself in my bathtub, and now I'm a Christian. That was one story. <laughs> but God used even something as destructive and death-ridden as COVID to draw a generation of people to him and think about him in a different way than they never have. 
God uses pain and suffering to draw us back to him, but we don't see it that way. We've turned our back on God, which makes sense why pain and suffering exists, but now God uses it to bring us back to him. C.S. Lewis said this about pain and suffering. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We are a deaf world that thinks that everything should be hunky-dory and everything should be fine, even when we're in a state of fallenness with God. And God is shouting to us in our pain, would you cry out to me? And he will give you hope. He will give you hope for the future, that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be something different. It's better, and there's a future hope that it will be that way. And so that's the logical problem of pain, evil, and suffering. And so that's the easy one, right? In my opinion, it's easy to be like, no, it's not a contradiction. Here's why. And to give you 20 reasons why it's not. Here's what that doesn't solve. It doesn't solve the emotional problem of pain and suffering. There is a logical problem of pain and suffering that I think is actually really easily talked about. It's the emotional problem that's much more difficult. What does it say in verse 22. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. That's a state of mourning. It's a state of pain. It's been groaning, lamenting, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Like if you've watched someone in labor, like it is a painful experience, not to cause any fear, but that's the point he's trying to get across. It hurts. It's not easy. And he's saying that there is pain, there is emotional toil, there is physical toil right now in our current predicament. And a lot of times, like I already said, people think that the only emotion you're allowed to show in the church is joy. And if you're not showing joy and happiness, then you're either not a Christian or you're not doing it right, or you're wrong. In the Bible, when you read the whole thing, you read the Psalms, you read the book of Lamentations, you see even Jesus's life, you see Paul's life, and you see that we're not called to just pretend like bad things don't exist and that we're not in pain, but we are called to lament with one another. We're called to pray with one another. We're called to carry one another's burdens. We're called to be with another person and beg God and petition God to take that pain away. The emotional problem of pain and suffering will always exist to this side of heaven. And the purpose of it is to draw us closer to God, both individually and collectively. And then what does that do? That causes us to hope in the future, to think about what it's going to be like to be free from the pain and suffering we're experiencing now. That is a hope that I long for. That's a hope that I hope that you long for as well. That hope, something to look forward to. And once again, I don't know what pain and suffering you're experiencing but God wants you to know that one day you're going to look back on this life and it is going to be nothing but a blip on a radar to you because of the future glory that you have. The future glory of a liberated creation. The animals, the ecosystems, environmental systems, natural systems, everything redeemed in the same way that the children of God get to experience redemption is the same way creation has got to experience that as well. And we long for that day. But as you still have the emotional problem, can we be people that come alongside you 
If you need help, if you want people to lament with you, not to just fix your problems, but to lament with you and to point you towards a future hope. Man, we'd love to do that for you. The last one is verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So in other words, it's not just creation that's groaning, it's we. We as human beings are still groaning. The emotional toll that pain and suffering takes does not disappear just because we know what heaven's going to be like. We are eagerly awaiting the future glory that God has for us. Our future glory brings hope of salvation, brings hope of salvation to our bodies. Our future glory brings hope of salvation to our bodies. We wait eagerly for this to happen. We're looking forward to this change. And I love what it says here, right? It says very specifically that we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. In other words, when you get adopted, what do you get? You get an inheritance for the future. And with that inheritance as a child of God, through faith in Jesus, what do you receive? You receive the redemption of your bodies for this hope you were saved. For what hope? The redemption of your bodies. What does that mean? The redemption of our bodies, we need to first look to Jesus who received the first redeemed body. He died on the cross. His body broken for our body that should have been broken. Him died, lifted up on a cross. Took our place, our punishment. The pain and suffering that we should have endured, he endured on the cross. Why? To redeem our broken bodies for future. And then he rose from the grave, which shows us the first fruits of what is to come our redeemed body, something new. And I love the word redemption. If you've never studied the word redemption, it means to purchase or to receive the fulfillment of hope. Jesus showed us what that hope looks like when he rose from the grave. And he says, this is what you receive one day as well. A redeemed body, the salvation for this hope you were saved, that your body is not going to be your body anymore. You receive a new body, one that's not broken, not old. It's not slower, but it's beautiful. But in order to be a child of God, and in order to receive the inheritance, and in order to receive a redeemed body, that all comes from faith in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26. It says that you are children of God through faith. Faith that you cannot save yourself. Faith that you can't fix your problem. Faith that you can't solve the world's pain and suffering problem. But faith that Jesus started that and did that when he died on the cross, was buried, and then rose again. When you have faith that God is the one, that Jesus is the one that gives you hope because of what he did on the cross for you. When you have faith in that, it says you become a child of God at that point. And there are some of you where I want to invite you, today might be the day where you want that hope that we're talking about. The hope that we know one day we can look back on this life and say that pain, that suffering was nothing compared to the joy we have. Do you want that hope? The Bible says that you need to cry out to God. In Romans chapter 10, it says that if you cry out to God, he will always respond. He always answers those who cry out. You may need to cry out because of your pain and suffering. And you look at the redeemed body, you look at the sin of your life and how it's hurt you, and you say, I need saving from this. If you cry out to God, he says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And he wants to give you the hope of a redeemed body, the hope of salvation, 
And so later we're going to pray in a minute. And I, if that is the hope that you want, if you want forgiving and saving from yourself, the pain and suffering that you've even caused yourself in this life and for the next, then cry out to God. I want to go over a poem by Emily Dickinson. Uh, before my wife Amy knew that I was preaching on this topic, uh, she had the opportunity to, um, she's applying for school, and she had the opportunity to go and teach a lesson. And she had to pick a poem randomly um, to bring before the students. And she picked this one. And then we talked about it. And it is the exact opposite of everything this passage of Scripture just said. The exact opposite. And she brought it to the students to see what they would say about it. And then brought up this passage in order to show them the difference and ask them to talk about it. But it's a poem by Emily Dickinson. It says, that it will never come again. That it will never come again. And this is what it says. That it will never come again is what makes life so sweet. Believing what we don't believe does not exhilarate. Basically, she's saying because there's nothing next, because there's no afterlife, because there's nothing after this, that's what makes life so sweet. Live life to the fullest. There's nothing next. So make the most of this one, right? And then it says, believing what we don't believe does not exhilarate. In other words, um, you don't even really believe it anyway. And so live this life to the fullest, and that will bring exhilaration for this life. There's only one thing Emily doesn't talk about in her poem. What if your life sucks? What if your life is filled with pain and suffering, like the majority of the world? What if it's filled with hopelessness? What if it's filled with pain? What if it's filled with hardship and hunger and beatings and being the lowest in your country? That doesn't make this life sweet. That makes this life not worth living. And what God is trying to give us is say, hey, look, because this life is filled with pain and suffering, and you know there is a future glory waiting for you, do you know what that does for you in this life? It gives it purpose. In Emily's perspective, you just need to live this life up to the fullest because nothing matters. But man, if this life isn't worth living, that makes this life miserable. But when you know that there is something that is ahead of you, it gives hope and it brings meaning and purpose to this life. It brings meaning and purpose to pain and suffering. Next week, we're going to go over the next couple verses. And he says something awesome. He says that, for God works out everything for the good of those who love him or are called toward him to his purpose. That means God takes all your pain, all your suffering, and he creates something good with it. It may not be good for you, but it's for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The pain and suffering that you experience in this life is not purposeless. If you look through the world through Emily's eyes, pain and suffering is meaningless. And it doesn't matter. There is no silver lining. But if you know that God can create all good things through your pain and suffering, he can create something incredible with your mess, then it gives all the pain and suffering you're experiencing right now. It brings purpose to it. And it makes this life worth living. I want to end with a quote from uh, Zoe. She was one of the girls that was baptized this past Sunday night. And she experienced a lot of pain and suffering in her life. And this is what she said, just a couple of sentences. I want to get baptized because I finally understand what God's love means. So now at age 22, I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I accept the free gift of his death on the cross for my sins. His resurrection is the hope for me to continue my journey. Jesus' resurrection is the hope for you, for me, 
to continue living this life knowing that there's a purpose to pain and suffering. You take God out of the equation, there is no hope to continue this journey. It just is what it is. But if God exists, if Christianity is true, if Jesus really did die, rise from the grave, it means that whatever you're going through right now has a meaning for the good of either you or someone close to you or maybe someone a thousand years from now you don't even know. And God will redeem all of the terrible atrocities that have happened on this earth. Let me pray for this. Um, if you're someone in this room who today's the day you want to cry out to God to save you and you are in pain and suffering and you acknowledge, man, it's my sin that got me here or it's someone else's sin that got me here and I can't fix my problem. I need Jesus to save me from my sin. I need him to save me from my situation. I need the hope of something better for the future. And you want to be with God, the greatest good of all time. Man, I invite you to cry out to him. I would love for you to pray with me. Say something like, God, I know that my sin separates from me from you. I know that you are a righteous judge and I deserve death because of my sin, my evil, my rebellion against you. But God, I know that you sent your son, Jesus, to live a perfect life for his body to be broken on my behalf, to redeem my broken body for your sake, for your glory. And so God, I believe and I trust that Jesus paid my penalty, my debt, was paid by him when he died on that cross. And then he rose from the grave, giving me hope for a future, giving me hope for a new body. I cry out to you to save me from my sin. And I confess that you are Lord of my life. Would you save me? And would you give me a hope for the future that I've never had before? For those of you in this room that are struggling and you have been man, deep in pain and suffering and hardship for a long time, and it might have no end in sight in this life. I wanna pray for you, God, for those people that are experiencing hardship that just won't end. God, would you give them hope? Would you give them joy in knowing that one day they will look back on this life and that it will pair in comparison to the glory of their future? That all the pain of this life will be completely swallowed up by your presence. Would you allow them to find hope in that, in the midst of their pain and suffering? God, for those in you, of those in this, for those of this room who, man, they're mad at you because of pain and suffering in their life. They're upset at you because they might have heard about your love, but they don't feel it. Lord, would you allow them to cry out to you in the same way that David cries out to you in the Psalms? Would you allow them to ask their hard questions? Would you give them the freedom to ask the hard questions? But ultimately, God, would you show them that you showed them so much love when you died on the cross 2,000 years ago? The greatest act of love you could have ever shown them in the midst of their pain and suffering is that you died for them while they were sinners. Would you allow them to find joy in your love even in the midst of discipline or even in the midst of frustration or even in the midst of decay, God, would you remind them of your love for them that you showed them 2,000 years ago on a cross? We give you our lives. We give you our pain and suffering. Would you redeem it as you promise for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose? 
And would you give us wisdom to know what that means? We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can stand up. Let's worship. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.